Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. Thank God for His holy written word. This morning I want to talk to you about the Waymaker. We sang about Him. We want to talk about Him. He is the Waymaker. Aren't you glad for that? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, and verse 16, this is what we read. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. How many of you know that even though you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that trouble is never going to come your way? That no matter who you are when you get saved, you're going to find yourself involved with all kinds of challenges Troubles, tribulations, trials, temptations, and all that. Have you learned that already since you've been a born-again believer? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, we've got a good witness to that. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Well, even though we know we're going to encounter these kind of difficulties in life, what's more important to know is this. We have a way maker. Our God is a way maker who makes a way when seemingly there is no way out of whatever trouble that we're in. And if he has to be a miracle worker to provide that, he'll provide the miracle. If he has to be a promise keeper, he'll be a promise keeper. Or a light in the darkness, he'll light your way to see you through to victory. Can you say amen? amen. So that's what the song is really all about. He is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. And he is a shining light in a world of darkness. And of course, the entrance of his word gives what? Gives light. Praise God. And so we thank God for that. Well, Isaiah is referring to the incident at the Red Sea. And when they got to the Red Sea, they found themselves in a very precarious situation. Wouldn't you agree? Now notice, they've got to the north of them, the Red Sea. To the south of them, Pharaoh's military. To the east of them, and to the west of them, mountains. So they're hemmed in with no place to go. And nothing, humanly speaking, is possible for them to escape their dilemma. There's no time to build a bridge. There's no time for them to, they say, build a boat. And certainly there's no time to develop an aircraft. And besides, with two and a half million people and the price of gas or fuel... Can you imagine them trying to get across the Red Sea a, a few at a time? How long that would take? No, they're in a difficult situation. They're hemmed in. There's no way of escape. There's no way to go. And guess what? This way maker needs to do a miracle for them and fulfill a promise that he made and provide the light that they need so they can get to safety. You see, before them was their freedom from Egyptian slavery. They've been delivered, but remember, they were still attacking them, pursuing them to bring them back into slavery. Well, what's going to happen? In the book of Exodus chapter 14, we have some insight. 
They're troubled, obviously. They're anxious, obviously. They're panic-stricken, obviously. Who wouldn't be in that situation? <clears throat> but let's read these verses in Exodus 14. <clears throat> but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. Uh, really, Moses? Can I repeat that to you once again? D did you get what we were telling you? The sea's in front of us. The mountains are alongside of us. And Pharaoh and his military are rapidly approaching us. And you say, the strategy is to stand still. Well, let's read on. And watch the Lord rescue you today. What are we in? What's our situation? Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Wow. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them all, Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. <clears throat> Wow. That's a pretty good way, wouldn't you say, that he made for them? Who would have thought of that one? I know what I'll do. The Red Sea's in front of us and they're all around us. I'll just wave my staff and that'll take care of the problem. Let me tell you something. If God tells you to raise the staff, if God tells you what to do, the way maker will make a way for you, for me, no matter what the situation, no matter how difficult, no matter how impossible, praise God. You see, the thing is to stay focused on what God said. And if we stay focused on what God said, that changes the whole scenario. He made a way for them when there was no way, but was, it was a way that no man would ever think of. Now, there was a scientist, there is a scientist, and he calls himself a Christian scientist who only believes in evolution and discredits the miracles of the Bible. I don't know how you can put those two together. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in miracles. I, I just don't understand that. But anyhow, he calls himself a Christian. He uh, wrote this manual on the parting of the Red Sea can be scientifically proven. It would take a 60 mile an hour wind in order to do this to bring some parting of the sea. But it has to be precise. And I was thinking, has he read the whole account of this? You realize it took all night long for this to occur? You know how long it took to get two and a half to three million people across the Red Sea? It took hours. All night long. The waters were congealed on one side, on the other side, and they made their trek across on dry ground. It took them hours. It took them the whole night to the early hours of the morning. And as they were getting across, the Egyptian army was pursuing them. And it just so happened precisely, you see, when whatever this thing was taking place in our weather system just happened to when all the Egyptians got there, come back together and kill them all. Wow. 
It would take me more faith to believe in that than to believe that God put up those walls. What about you? But then I thought, well, if this is how he thinks about that, I wonder what he thinks about, first of all, over 2,000 years probably have come and gone, more than that, 3,000 years have come and gone since the incident. Has that ever happened again that we can think of? Any significant reporting of something like that ever occurring again? Isn't it something that all these years have come and gone and there's never been a weather pattern like that to do that? Then I thought, I wonder what he does with Jordan. Let's talk about Joshua and Jordan. The Jordan River is like, oh, it's above sea level, 9,232 feet above sea level. And it progresses down to 1,400 feet below sea level. It is, as far as the world is concerned, a river that its elevation is the sharpest elevation that there is of any known river of its size. The waters move so rapidly, it's the fastest moving water that you could possibly even imagine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a visual. Just look at it. Watch this. Who would like to walk across that with me? Anyone? That's during the flood season. Mm -hmm. Watch these individuals that are standing on the side just beckoning to go in. It should be coming up here soon. Look at that. That's the River Jordan. That's kind of close for comfort, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Now, it's over 10 feet deep and some spots 100 feet wide and more. And during the time that they were there, it was moving like that. Now, as far as the pagans are concerned, on the other side, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, all the ites that were there, including the, all the termites that were there on the other side. On that side, they viewed this as power and protection. Power and protection that came from Baal, their god, the fertility god. And they believed that as long as the river was flowing like that, there was nobody going to come and bother them. So they believed that God was, their god was protecting them. And when the Israelites went over there during that particular time, they were at ease because there was no way that they could get over to where they were because of what you just saw. Now, to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, you know what that represented? Something they had to cross over to move forward in God. It was a barrier that kept them from experiencing the fullness of the power of God, the greatness of the power of God in their lives. And in some cases, they could be, let's say, Maybe something that would keep them back. For us, we could say something like this. Maybe my job would keep me back. Maybe a, a relationship would keep me back. Maybe fear of the unknown would keep me back. Maybe like in the days of Abraham. You want me to go out and find a city and builder whose maker is God? I'm, this is the unknown. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? A barrier. It could be maybe something that we're addicted to, an addiction or something like that. To keep someone from getting across to the other side to move forward in God. And remember this. God never wants us to move backward. To the right nor to the left. In Isaiah 30, I believe it is 21, it says, you're going to hear a voice behind you, behind your ear saying to you, this is the way, this is the way, he's a way maker, this is the way, walk ye in it, whether it's to the left or to the right. Whatever course you're going to take, make sure you've heard that voice, this is the way, walk ye in it. So whatever it is, you see, the Israelites knew that if they get to the other side, what was on the other side of, of uh, the Jordan? Canaan's land. Freedom. Breakthrough. Victory. 
where God would be their God and God would protect them and care for them and love them, provide for them. The day of manna would stop and praise God. They would be a free people to serve God with all their heart, their soul, their mind and strength. And that God said, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you. I'll fulfill the number of your days. I'll bless your bread. I'll bless your water. And he went on and say that no one would miscarriage among you. There'd be no miscarriages among you. No one barren among your land. I mean, he gave them promise after promise after promise after promise. But you see, the problem is there's an obstacle in the way. Not just the Red Sea. But now, this flowing river, the fastest flowing river in the world. How are you going to get across? The beauty of it was this. Joshua, just tell the priest to come together. And when you put, would you like to put your foot in that? Who would volunteer to put your foot in what you just saw there? When the priest puts his foot carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you'll see something. The Canaanites will see something. You see, they trusted in their God to protect them, to keep them safe, to provide for them, etc. Well, guess what? The moment the priest with the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water, what you just saw, the waters were heaped up. Listen to this, all the way back to a city called Adam. Isn't that unusual? To the left and to the right, the waters just stood up in a heap. And at the bottom of what we just saw, there was nothing but dry ground. And they walked across. But you had to be 3,000 feet away from the Ark of the Covenant. Stay away from the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they were instructed to do. Then you know the story. They had to have, they got the memorial stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They placed them there as a, as a memorial to let them know, just to remind them, yes, of the past, but also to remind them now that God is still a way maker. He's still a miracle worker. He's still a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. That's what they wanted to know. He, that's what God wanted them to know. Is your dilemma hem, hemming you in? Is it creating something around you that you seem to can't get through? You can't get through a breakthrough or whatever. Could the problem be because we're only trying to deal with it in the natural? Beloved, the Lord has reminded me, I am a supernatural God. My church is a supernatural church. This is not a religion. This is a relationship and it is a reality. And we have a relationship with the God of heaven and the God of earth who parts the waters of the sea and causes the river Jordan. To stand as a heap. Nothing is impossible for him. <clears throat> if I got to do a miracle, I'll do a miracle. And besides all that, when you look at the Jordan River and you think about that miracle of its crossing, and you think about this, Elijah got his mantle, smacked that river, and it parted as well. I'd like to think that might have been the flooding season also. Can you imagine seeing that? You might think in the calm, you know, we see people being baptized in the Jordan, but it's at a calm. I think if God's going to show up, he's going to show off. Like anybody can part a calm river, right? But who can part the raging rapids? Only God himself. And he smacked it and they parted and they just walked across. I can understand why they need to have divine intervention to walk across that. And then Elisha, you see, when he got to the other side of Jordan, when you think about that episode in, the, in Second Kings and you think about Elijah and Elisha and you think about Elisha following Elijah 
And they started at Gilgal, which is a type of Calvary. The first place where you start with God and in God, in Christ, is Gilgal. And they went to Gilgal. And then Elijah said to Elisha, you stay here because you see the Lord has sent me to Bethel. To Bethel. And Elisha says, I'm not staying here. I am, I'm not satisfied with just being saved. I'm going to go to Bethel, a place of divine visitation. I want to go with you everywhere you go. So they took the next step out and he moved forward in God. And when he got there to Bethel, he said, you know what? Elisha, the Lord's told me to go to Jericho. This place of divine manifestation where the walls came tumbling down. And Elisha said, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not content with just being saved. I want to know God, talk with God, and I want to experience the awesome working of God's almighty power at Jericho. And so he went to Jericho. He said, okay. And the two went on. But then finally, he said, Elijah said to Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Uh-oh. Jordan? You stay here, he said. And Elisha said, uh-uh. I told you as sure as you live, as your soul liveth, as God Almighty lives, I am not coming up short. I want to fulfill the call that God has on my life. I'm going to go with you all the way. He said, okay. Well, you know what? When we get across Jordan, if you want what you really want, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to see me going up in a whirlwind in a chariot. And then you're, you're going to have to commit to what I committed to. Because you see, Elisha wanted a double portion. He was really, he, he was really, when it comes to the thing of God, he was lavish. He was extravagant. What did he want? I want double of what you have. I don't want what you have. Brother, I want double of what you have. And Elijah, Elijah said to Elijah, okay, Elijah said to Elisha, okay. But what is this, Jordan? He sees Elijah take the mantle, smack the waters, they part. They get across on the other side, and all of a sudden, Elijah's chariot appears. Elijah's caught up in a whirlwind, and he, he's taken without dying into glory. Elisha sees the mantle fall. He walks over to it. He picks it up. You see, crossing Jordan means I'm fully committed to God. I am surrendered to God. I'm putting him first in my life. His word will govern my every step in life. Not the world, not the devil, not the flesh, not even myself. I deny myself the, the right to live independent of God. And whatever he tells me to do, I'll do whatever, wherever he tells me to go, I'm going to go. I'm serving the living God. And when he got across that, you see, it's a death to self when you cross the Jordan, you die to yourself and you're alive to God. Matter of fact, it's like Jesus being baptized. Where was he baptized? What river? Jordan River. Once again, you go back to the very beginning when you see the separation of the waters in creation. When the Bible talks about how the Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the deep, everything was in chaos. And what happened? The word was spoken and the Spirit of God moved and divided the waters. Then, of course, we have creation. We've got the new creation right there in the river Jordan, Jesus and when he gets in those waters, he is baptized in the waters. And what happens? The Holy Ghost that did the first act of creation now is in the process of setting in motion the act of the new creation. Where anyone who comes through this Jordan and is baptized into Christ as he was baptized, 
comes up out of the water as a new creation. And as a new creation, you've got a brand new heart, a brand new life, a brand new focus as far as life is concerned. You're an ambassador for Christ. You represent him everywhere you go. You're going to walk with him, talk with him. You're going to do his will. You're going to offer to the world hope. You're going to offer to the world faith, offer to the world everything that they need to come and and experience the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. That's what you live for. That's what we all live for. Because you see, one day this temporal life on this earth is going to be gone. And what remains is everything we've done for Christ. And that's the bottom line. Completely sold out to Christ. But you got to get across Jordan. You know, I can think about that in my own life. Matter of fact, as I've been doing this series of lessons this year, the Lord has really spoken to my heart about giving some of my testimony, you know, peppering these messages with my personal testimony. Because, you know, remember Jesus said, there's no man that's ever left house, home, family. It's all these things for my sake and the gospels who will not receive back a hundredfold in this life. And he named all those different things. When I think about the call of God upon my life, I was so young in the Lord, and maybe I was so naive in the Lord. I had a zeal for God, but no knowledge really. But but one thing I had was a heart hunger and thirst for God. You heard my testimony when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and went to the altar in a Pentecostal church. I came out of a Catholic church. I didn't have any knowledge of a Pentecostal church. I didn't know what they were doing and what was going on. A church like ours, but I went to the altar. When I went to the altar, praise God, they asked me what I wanted. I said, I want everything that God has for me. Then you want filled with the Holy Ghost? I said, well, that's what I want. Then that's what I want. I had no idea. And I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And from that point on, there was a gift of God that was placed within my soul that I knew I didn't have before. My tongue was on fire for God. and I began to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the Lord spoke to my heart about going off to Bible school a thousand miles away. And it was like, really? Yeah. You say you love me? You say you want to serve me? You want to walk with me? You want to surrender your heart to me? Yeah. Okay, then pack your bags and go. You see, sometimes there's something that keeps us from moving forward in God. My job? Had a great job. Good benefits. Great benefits. My family? Come on. Spaghetti on Sunday and spaghetti on Thursday. And you want me to leave that? Leftover spaghetti on Monday... And pizza on Friday. And you want me to leave all that? And go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they didn't even know how to make pizza? (laughs) Trust me, we tried it, and I thought, this isn't pizza. This is some tomato sauce or or maybe some Campbell's tomato soup that they put on bread. (laughs) My boss begged me to stay because... It's hard to find crane operators that know what they're doing. And he's like, we don't want you to leave. Come back. And I said, I'll never walk through these doors ever again. I was kind of bold to say something like that. But um, he said, go. And you know what? I didn't hesitate. Well, were their thoughts, were their feelings, were their emotions and all that? Oh, yeah. But I said, mom, dad, the Lord said to do this. That's my Jordan. And you know what? I didn't know where I would go, where it would take me. I don't know what I would do, but I thought if he, uh, an engineer, you know, an engineer should know a little bit about to get from Youngstown to Midland, Pennsylvania, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. He routes me from Youngstown to Tulsa, back to Youngstown to Midland. Couldn't have been shorter than that. Could have been easier than that. Because you know what I had to go through to get to Tulsa? And I've shared that testimony with you. Maybe a lot of you don't know it, but 
You talk about the challenges that I faced, that we all faced as a family, is beyond words. But you know what? I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world. But you see, that, that could have been my Jordan right there. Are you going to, you're willing to cross over that? You want to know the power of God? You've got to cross over that Jordan. You want to know the protective hand of God? You've got to cross over. You want to move forward in God? That sea has got to part. Those rivers have got to dry up. And the ground has got to be dry. Don't let anything hold you back. Not your job. Not a relationship that maybe doesn't glorify God. Not an addiction. Not a this. Not a that. Don't let anything hold you back from experiencing the fullness of what God has for your life. Because you see, this way maker... He's a miracle worker. And I'm telling you, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle we experienced. He's a way maker, a miracle worker, but he's also a promise keeper. When I was in school and I didn't have any, two nickels to rub together and I just looked up to heaven and said, you sent me here. You know, you can be bold with God when you know what God said for you to do. Because you see, you gave birth to me. Now you're responsible for me and you're not worse than an infidel. And I said to the Lord, I said, when I was back home, and I'll get to that in just a minute. When I was back home, I paid my debt. I paid my bill. And I've got some bills coming up, and I don't have any money to pay them. I looked up to him and just said, that's what you said. And I'll tell you what he said in a moment. And if I lose my train of thought, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyhow, they crossed Jordan. They got to the other side and all the land of the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all these I saw that. Their God was not more powerful than the God who made nature. Their God was not more powerful than the God of all creation. He's the only true and living God. Amen. And you know what? He's a miracle worker. Amen. And they found that to be true. Now, look in 2 Kings. Because that was for, for their direction in their lives, not to be held back, but to go forward and, and break through and be free once and for all from slavery. We're no longer a slave to sin as a Christian. Do you realize that? Or we'll be tempted to sin. We'll have to struggle against sin. But we are no longer a slave to sin because the Bible says sin will not have any dominion over you. You've been liberated from that once and for all. He brought us out of the realms of darkness into the light of his kingdom. And we're in this light, praise God, where we have the power of God to overcome whatever we face. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is the story of a widow woman. And it's a story really of death, of devotion, of debt, and also despair. But let's read it first. One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha said. Tell me, what do you have? Tell me, what do you have? Notice he didn't say, I want something that you don't have. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon Every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. 
When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons, you can live on what's left over. 403B, 401K. Can you imagine that? Who would have thunk? Who would have thought the solution to her problem, her dilemma, when the creditors came to arrest or to, to take as captives her two sons as slaves, the waymaker would come up with a way to use something that she had in her own possession. Something that wasn't beyond her. She had a flask of oil. That's all I have. But you see, it's a story of death. Her husband died leaving her a widow. It's a story of devotion. He served the prophet and he feared the Lord, his God. It's a story of debt. He left her in debt. The creditors had come and they want to take the sons as slaves until the debt is paid off. And now she's panic stricken. What am I going to do? Thank God. Even though in her despair, she could stand still and say, okay, you're the way maker. He's a way maker. I know we could just think in our thoughts right now. How bad is what I'm facing? Is it worse than the Red Sea? Is it worse than the troubled waters, the uh, fast moving waters of the Jordan? Is it worse than this woman who became a widow and now she's indebted to these creditors and now they've come to take her sons as slaves? And you see, we have all these different scenarios, but she stands there and says, what do I do? And he says, just take the, the oil. You see, the miracle never stopped until they ran out of jars. It continued to flow. Who would have thought something like that would be the solution to her problem? Because you see, this way maker is also a miracle worker. Well, you talk about really hitting the uh, industry out there. If, if we all can have that happen with gas, go get your gas containers <laughs> and you know how they say <laughs> get your reduced price because you got your whatever card and it's your discount card and all that and just keep filling them up and filling them up and just go to the gas station and pour just fill one up pay for the one that you fill up but then just stand there and just fill what are you doing i'm just filling up all these you're not allowed to do that well that's not i already this is mine right here i'm not using yours i'm using mine well, how can you keep fill up that one, that one, that one, that one? I said, because I serve the waymaker. I serve a miracle working God. I serve a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. I use these testimonies because this is where I got my feet wet when I crossed the Jordan. There I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I have a couple of things. I couldn't pay a debt. When I had a son born there at St. John's Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I had the debt there of the hospital bill because I had to leave my job and all my comfort zone and all my insurances and all that sort of thing. And so there I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I'm a conscientious person. I don't want to be in debt. I got that going on. Then I have rent that's due. Rent is due. It's Sunday. Rent is due on Thursday. And I'm just playing catch with my daughter, Lisa, in the courtyard of the 
uh, apartment building where we're staying and we're throwing this little wiffle ball back and forth and playing catch and having a good time. And I'm all these thoughts going through my head. Lord, I got to pay this bill on Thursday. And, you know, I'm a conscientious person. When I was back home working in the mill, I always paid my debt, always paid my mortgage, always paid whatever. And back and forth, just back and forth. And just like he said, Moses, you got to stretch forth your rod. You know what he said to me? And this is where really people get in trouble. You can't do what I did or what Moses did or what Naaman did or Elijah did. You got to do what God tells you to do. And what you're going to do, you're going to get that revelation either from your Bible or from the Spirit of God as he speaks to your heart and says something that lines up with the Word of God. Because if he said to do it, it doesn't mean you're going to have no problems. You're not going to have problems or anything like that. You'll be challenged. You'll be have difficulties along the way. And so what I did was I said, oh, I'm thinking in my head, okay, I've got to pay this bill. And all of a sudden within my spirit, I hear these words. You got to believe you needed two hundred dollars. You got to believe you received the two hundred dollars before you can experience it. I said, "What? You got to believe you receive the two hundred dollars before you can see it or experience it, just like you do with healing." And when the Holy Ghost added that on to me, I thought, "Oh." You mean I got to believe I actually receive it when I ask you for it before I actually see it and have it? Remember that song said, even though you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, what's happening? He's working. So guess what? I got it. Thank you, Lord. It's Sunday, Thursday. The rent is due. I'm working a part-time job at minimum wage, making nothing like I made when I lived in Youngstown working in a mill. And so I go finish playing and all that. And I get aside with myself and God. And I just say, well, Lord, Mark eleven twenty four says, whatever I desire when I pray, believe I receive them and I will have them. And you just told me I got to believe I receive it before I can see it. So I'm asking you for $200 to pay my rent. It's due Thursday, by the way. Just he didn't know that. I had to tell him that. <laughs> so you see, so I believe I received $200 now. In the name of Jesus. I thank you for it. That was Sunday. I go to school on Monday morning. I go to work after school. So I go to school Monday morning. I believe I received. I'm so I'm happy as can be. No anxiety. No worry. No fretting. No fear. Nothing like that. Because I just asked my father for a two. I never, I never did this before. Never. Never in my life. I'm on, on the side of Jordan. It's a new way of living. And I said, thank you for the $200. Oh, Lord, I appreciate for the $200. I thank you. I, I, really, I receive it. I believe I receive it. And I thank you for it. And so I go about my business that day and going to school, come back home from school. And as I'm walking, you know, in, in the apartment complex, all the mailboxes are next to each other. And I'm walking by. And all of a sudden, when I get near it, someone says to me, you better look in the mailbox and see whether or not that money's going to ever come to you. You know what? He almost got me. I stopped just for a second, but only a second. And I said, uh-uh, I'm not looking in that mailbox. You know why, devil? Because you see, my God said, if I believe I receive it, I will have it. Yesterday, I asked him for it. Point of reference. Point of contact when I asked him. Now, I believe I received it yesterday. So if I believe I received it yesterday, why am I looking for it today? You're lying to me. I know I received it. I know I have it. 
So thank you, Father, for it. I'm going to go eat a sandwich, get ready to go to work, and when I want to check my mailbox, I'll check my mailbox. See, that's faith in action. The enemy wants to get us out of faith more than anything else because our faith is what makes the miracles happen. This happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Even Thursday morning, same thing's happening. And every day I'm just saying, oh, thank God I have it. And I, I would even do something like crazy, like, and they call us Christian crazy, you know, because I would just pull, hold my hand like this, and I would just say, devil, I know you're blind and you can't see. But you see right there in the palm of my hand, I asked my father four days ago for $200 to pay my rent, and I believe I received it then. I know you can't see too well, but I'm letting you know, you see, I see it through the eye of faith. You see, even though I don't see it with my natural eye, he's working. He's working. This is what this song means. He's working. So then I go and have my lunch, and then I go to the mailbox. When I get to the mailbox, open to the mailbox, and I go through my mail. All of a sudden, I see a, a letter from Youngstown, Ohio, hometown, Youngstown, Ohio. I open up the letter. I begin to read the letter, and the letter has within it, I see a check there in it as well. And I begin to read the letter, and the letter says, uh, Bill, we don't know why we're doing this. We don't even know if you need anything. But last Sunday, God spoke to us to send you this check for $200. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought, I don't doubt it. <laughs> I don't doubt it for a second. So I take the check, right? And I'm going to go deposit it in my bank account. But I also have to pay on that very same day, that afternoon, my rent. I write out a check. I make my deposit first. I write out my check. I take it over to the office. And this sweet girl sitting back, you know, doing her thing. She's all this stuff. She's, I'm, she's the day you got to have everything in. So I'm sure she's busy with all her paperwork with all that, receiving checks and everybody's payment and all that. And she, I'm here to pay my rent. Okay. And she doesn't even look up at me. And I go to hand it to her. She goes like that, grabs it. Inside me, I'm going, lady, if you knew where that came from, <laughs> you wouldn't just sit there like that and not look at me. <laughs> that came on the wing of an angel. That came by faith in Almighty God. That's how that came. See, God will tell you what to do. The way maker will make a way. He said, you've got to believe you receive it before you have it. Just like you've got to stretch forth your hand or you've got to step into the, the, uh, the river with the Ark of the Covenant. You see, we've got to do what he says to do, not some preacher. So when you next time you see a television evangelist preacher saying, send me a thousand dollars. He's not God. If the Holy Ghost says Send $1,000, that's one thing. Don't fall victim to that kind of thing. Amen. Sometimes people get excited and all that. They think, if I really do this, then I'm going to have a hundredfold return. Well, I believe in a hundredfold return the way the Bible really teaches it. A quick lesson on that subject. Read Brother Hagin's book called, uh, what is it? The, um, the money on one on money. The Midas Touch. He says, if you... Got a hundred. If you took one dollar and sowed it seven times, and you believed in a hundredfold return, you'd have a trillion dollars by the end. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. 
So don't fall victim to that. I did what God said to do. Believe you receive it and you shall have it. And guess what? It, it, it worked. Someone says, oh, that faith business doesn't work. I said, well, who are you listening to? Are you listening to the Bible? Are you listening to God? Paul preached the word of faith. Now, my second one, and I know you think we're not going to get through this. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm just thinking the same thing, too. So we'll get there maybe next week, but whatever. Um, this is crazy. This is crazy. You want to call me a crazy Christian? I was a crazy Christian because I was so sold out for God. I am leaving my home. I'm crossing Jordan now. And I'm going to go to Tulsa. My household so fast, I needed to have a place to stay before I left to go to Tulsa. And so I, I'm getting rid of all my stuff. You heard me say I play guitar. I, I had this beautiful ES-335 uh, stereo guitar, Gibson, and a Fender, you know, a, a bigger Fender uh, amplifier and all that. And I'm taking it to this music store just to pawn it off. I love that guitar. It was so nice. I really did love that guitar. But I said, I, I didn't see anybody playing guitars in church. And so I just said, I'll just get rid of this stuff. And I'm downsizing and some stuff I'll put in storage. The other stuff I'm just getting rid of. So I get rid of this. It gives me a certain amount of money for this, you know, this guitar and amplifier. On my way out of the store, the Holy Ghost says to me, I want you to buy that theater organ. <laughs> what? The theater organ. You want me to buy this enormous, humongous theater organ. I'm getting rid of a guitar and an amplifier to upsize to something like that, that enormous thing. Yeah. So I go back in and negotiate with the guy and just said, uh, uh, I think I'd like to buy this organ. Does this make any sense? How many know that sometimes when God tells you to do something, it's illogical, it's unreasonable, seemingly impossible, not a crazy thing to do? Well, guess what? I buy it. <laughs> You've never done anything like this. What am I going to do with this thing? <laughs> the apartment complex, it wouldn't even fit in the apartment. I had to park it in the hallway of the apartment building where I'm staying. I downsized and got rid of all my stuff, put it in a storage unit up in Youngstown, Ohio. I'm going to go to Tulsa. Now we've got this mammoth theater organ Okay, can't even understand it. Move all the way to Tulsa, 1,000 miles away. Put the thing up in the apartment building there. Thank God it was big enough to house it. My son is born. I told you I owed a hospital amount of money, you know, for the birth. I'll tell you what, I look back right now, it was a lot cheaper to have a baby back then than it is today. So, um, but I'm thinking, I sold everything I have Sold everything, made a little profit on my house, got rid of the car, got a new car to travel across the country and all that. And so now I'm down to nothing. When I'm getting ready to leave Tulsa, I had nothing, you know, two bucks to my name. Thank God for that miracle. But it was miracle after miracle that God provided my need. But now I said, I don't want to leave Tulsa and owe this hospital this money. God knew I was like that. So I'm telling the Lord, I said, Lord, I got to pay this debt. I came here. I don't want to be, you know, someone who leaves a debt. It, 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 this is amazing. You know, Jesus, you know, Andrew saw Jesus. And Jesus, Andrew tells, tells him all the time, he goes, Dad, you, you got to see him. Uh, yeah, thanks, Drew. 
you got to see him. I, I saw him. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Uh, thanks, Drew. I know. I've been serving him for 42 years, 50-some years, and you, you were 14 hours old, and you saw him. Wait till I see him. <laughs> you wait till I see him. <laughs> A glimpse? 14, isn't that what he said to me? He said, Dad, and when it comes to the rapture, don't be concerned about the rapture. He goes, with me, it was like flash. I was there in a flash. I said, really? He goes, yeah, oh, yeah, you just blink an eye, you're there. Okay. Okay, Drew. So I said that to say this. Can you, I, it's almost like he stand, I'm standing looking at Jesus. Like, he, I don't want to go back and owe this money to this hospital. How am I going to pay for it? I had to believe God to get some money to come down just to travel back home because I had nothing. And I hear these words. Sell the organ. What? Sell the organ. Sell the organ. Sell the organ. Oh. Okay. It's like a penny saver. I called them up on the phone. I like to put this organ. It's a theater organ in. There's thousands. Tulsa's a big place. There's thousands of all these advertisements for buying this and buying that, whatever. Okay. I put in the paper. Next day, some lady comes over. Some mature lady, a grandmother, comes over to my apartment. She goes, I'd like to look at that theater organ that you have there for sale. And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Come and look at it. And she comes and looks at it. She goes, I'll take it. You will? I said, can I ask you why would interest you have in this? She goes, she says, well, my young granddaughter, she just started lessons. She hasn't really played much. But I'm going to buy this for her. What? I mean, how about an accordion? <laughs> Some little... <laughs> I said, you serious? She goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How much is it? I told her. She said, no problem. Writes out a check. The exact amount I owed the hospital. Amen. The exact amount. You think God knew something when he said, buy the organ? Do you think I understood that? No. Can you imagine walking around the walls of Jericho because God said to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times? Don't send out the praise. Don't send out the army. Send out the praisers. We told Jehoshaphat. Things that God says to do, he is a way maker, but we won't know his ways because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we may not understand it at that moment at, in time. It may seem illogical. I'm leaving my family. I'm going somewhere. I'm not going to know anybody and all that sort of thing. But you know what? God had a plan. The way maker had a miracle. He made a miracle. The miracle worked. had a promise. The promise came fulfilled. And praise God. He's a light in the darkness. He, light the, he will light the way to get us to where we got to go on the other side. And besides, he lit the way for the, Egypt, for the Israelites to go across dry land while the Egyptians came and they saw the same light that was there. They tried to get into the borrowed light. They tried to borrow the light of God. Well, guess what? When they got halfway there, boom. It was all over. Our God's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a miracle worker, promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. We're not going to get through this. Let's all stand.